Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. We are continuing our sermon series from some of our favorite Old Testament stories. Today is David and Goliath. Some of you are familiar with this story. You grew up in Sunday school. You heard this story over and over again. Some of you have heard it just as, uh, you know, mom and pop store take on the big time corporation uh, as just an allegory. But it's actually a story from history. And there was a young man named David who was a shepherd. He became the king of Israel and he did fight a giant named Goliath with a sling. And we're going to talk about that today. And uh, what, what I'm going to try to do is, uh, this is kind of a bold statement. I think I might be able to say something about David and Goliath that you have never heard before about David and Goliath. Now, I know if you grew up in the church, that might be a big deal because uh, you've heard this story over and over and over again. Here is uh, what we usually hear about David and Goliath. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm just going to read verses 40 through 50. This is what we usually hear about David and Goliath. Verse 40, Then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And Goliath despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. This is is all over our culture. Fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. This is everywhere. Even that... uh, New Kurt Warner movie where he was just a shopkeeper, you know, he was gross uh, bagger in the grocery store. Now all of a sudden he's playing in the Super Bowl. David and Goliath, uh, the little person taking on the giant. Now, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. That's, that's the part that we know. You know, out of the whole chapter, it's not very many verses that he, there's a battle going on with this giant. But I think maybe we've been taught this story wrong. And I'll give you four examples and Four examples of why I think this story has been taught to us wrong. And then because we learned it wrong, because it was taught to us wrong, we have this break from reality in our daily life. And then when reality re-enters in, our faith starts to shake. I'll give you the first example where I think we've been taught this story wrong. I think we put ourselves in the story in the wrong place. 
And we do this with a lot of Old Testament characters. For example, Daniel in the lion's den. And we're taught something like this. Daniel was saved by God from the lions. Daniel was a good person. So if you're a good person, you too will be saved by the lions. We do this with David. David was a good person, a man after God's own heart. And if you're a good person, then your giants will be conquered as well. I think this is a, a, a poor reading of David and Goliath. And I think maybe it leads us to have this break with reality. We start thinking in our head that if I am good enough, I will have good things happen to me. And the break with reality is when bad things happen to me, I think, one, either God is not with me anymore or I haven't been good enough. And I keep trying harder and harder to be better and better and I cannot become good. This is, this is really throws off people's faith. The second example is very similar. The second example goes like this. With God on your side, you too can conquer your giants. Here are five smooth stones to conquer all your giants. Love, peace, patience, kind of, you know, any, anything they want to label these stones. And all of a sudden, you're going to be able to conquer your giants. Well, what happens, what do we say to the Christians in the Ukraine who have died recently? Because death is a pretty big giant. What if we teach them, well, you know, if God's on your side, he's going to help you conquer your giant, and then they die. Do we tell the family, well, God probably wasn't on their side? Or maybe they didn't have enough faith. I think this is a poor teaching of David and Goliath, and I think it leads to problems with, uh, with reality. We have, a, we have a student, foreign exchange student named Alicia that's in our, in our area. She's connected to somebody in our church. And uh, she had a plane ticket back to the Ukraine, and it got delayed. Two days later, war broke out. The invasion started. Well, her family is trying to get from the Ukraine to Poland, her grandmother and her mother. And they're on a train. Her dad had to stay back because he is still of fighting age. And halfway from the Ukraine where they live to Poland, the train decided... The train conductor said, we're not going any further. There's a war going on. So all of a sudden in the middle, they just have to find a place to live. They have to find a place to stay. Now, wouldn't it be terrible of us to say something to them like, you know, with God on your side, you can conquer all your giants. And they're huddled in a place where they're crowded into a basement. They, is God not on their side? The United Nations has said, over the course of this past week, probably uh, around 800 casualties have occurred in the Ukraine, about 300 deaths, and some of them children and women who are not involved in the fighting. Is God not on their side? I think that's a poor teaching. I think that's a poor teaching of David and Goliath. Or maybe, maybe you worked really hard at your job and you still got laid off. Was God not on your side? I mean, that's a pretty big giant to overcome. Or maybe you had a family member who got sick and they died. Was God not on their side? No, but when we're taught the wrong thing, when we're taught this story wrong, we end up having this break with how reality works. Another example of where, um, and I hear that I heard this just this past week. We're having this prayer time. Uh, we have this prayer time on Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. It's Facebook. It's online. And uh, somebody texted me afterwards. They said, I'm really struggling here, but I know that God will not give me any more than I can handle. That's a straight-up lie taught from the wrong side of David and Goliath. God gives us more than we can handle all the time. All the time He gives us more than we can handle. Have you ever met John the Baptist in the Scripture? They cut off John the Baptist's head. Now, 
Is that more than he could handle? I think so. If you met the apostles, 11 out of the 12 apostles were murdered for their faith. That's a little bit more than they can handle. Hebrews chapter 11, that kind of says it this way. I don't necessarily love this chapter, but it does teach me reality. Chapter 11, verse 35, it says, some Christians received miracles. There were others who were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Try telling one of these brothers and sisters in the faith that are being sawed in two, God's not going to give you any more than you can handle. It's a break from reality. It's a false teaching that I think starts with um, that story of David and Goliath. Jesus actually tells us how we should interpret the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 24, he says it twice. I think he says it twice because um, sometimes the apostles were hard-headed, and I'm glad he says it twice because sometimes I'm a slow learner. In verse 26 and 27 of chapter 24 of Luke, Jesus says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Old Testament is about Jesus. Verse 44, he repeats the same sentiment. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The Old Testament is about Jesus. And we should not put ourselves into the story in the wrong place, especially when the story is pointing us to Jesus. See, in the story of David and Goliath, and maybe this is something you have never heard about David and Goliath, Israel needed a champion to go before them to fight the giant. And David became the champion for Israel. This is actually pointing us to Jesus. We need a champion to go before us and handle the things that are too big for us, to handle the giants in our lives that we cannot handle. We don't have the strength. We don't have the resources. It's impossible. We need our champion. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, It starts off in verse 1 that the Philistines had gathered their forces on this side of the valley. Israel gathered their forces on this side of the valley. And there's you can go there today, the Valley of Elah. I think that's what it's called. You can go there. You can pick up stones that very similar to what David would have used in his sling to kill Goliath. And in verse 4, it says, a champion named Goliath, he came out. That word champion is the man who goes between. We need a champion. David and Goliath, something you maybe have never heard, is actually pointing us to Jesus. So now we can start maybe reading it in a correct way. Maybe start taking away something that we can start applying to our lives that keeps us moving with how reality works, moving with how God works with us and within us. I think every person here should entrust themselves to God's champion because of three ways his champion wins victory. Number one, God's champion wins in weakness. Number two, God's champion achieves victory where we cannot. And number three, uh, God's champion shares his winnings. The first one is uh, 
God's champion wins. <laughs> he has victory in weakness. When uh, the scripture talks about David and Goliath, I love the descriptions it gives in 1 Samuel 17. Goliath, it talks about how big he is, how strong he is, and his advanced military equipment. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. That's anywhere between eight and 12 feet tall, depending on which Hebrew scholar you're going with. He had a bronze helmet. I, I went to a mission trip to Florida uh, last summer with um, some of our, we went to Multiply Christian Church with Ben, and we helped out, and we painted, and we moved their food, um, their, uh, their food giveaway pantry around, and, but we did take a beach day. And Jacob over here who plays guitar, he, he, I said earlier, he was like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, he came up to me after, and we goes, listen, I'm 6'6". Six, six. Well, he's a lot bigger than me. And on our beach day, some of us guys got in the water and we wrestled. And let me tell you, Jacob doesn't even work out. But if he just squeezes me, he kind of like puts, cuts me right in half. The dude's 6'6". He's just strong because he's big. And he's a lot stronger than me. Goliath is 8 to 12 feet tall. The average height of the Israelite, probably David, around 5'5". Five, five. Goliath would just have to grab him, and the fight is over. Andre the Giant, behind-the-scenes movie from The Princess Bride, uh, the lady who plays uh, Buttercup, she got cold one day, and he just put her ha his hand on her head, and it became like a heating element for her, and she got warm. Andre the Giant's not eight feet tall. The description of Goliath here is about his strength. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. The description of Goliath is all about his strength. The description of David is about who his dad was, and that David is eighth in the line of eight, and he's the weakest. They're there for battle. Philistines on one side, Israel on another, and David's three older brothers go to the battle lines, and David is not allowed to come. He's left at home guarding the sheep because he's not big enough to go to battle. He's the youngest. He doesn't have the experience. He's too small. There's a reason why 1 Samuel talks about the strength of Goliath and the lineage of David when it describes him. David is young and inexperienced, Goliath is huge and terrible. When Jesus went to the cross, this is pointing us to Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, they tied him up, they beat him, they mocked him, they spit on him, they jammed a crown of thorns in his head and beat it into his head with a, with a, with a stick, a staff. And he never retaliated like a lamb to the slaughter, a sacrificial lamb. Jesus was so exhausted that on the way to be executed, he fell under the weight of the cross. And Jesus gets nailed to the cross in our place, and he gets victory through weakness. Jesus' weakness becomes our victory. 
I just finished reading The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. And uh, I had never read it before. Heard about it, heard it was good. I think it ought to be required reading. I read several books last year, and there was one that stuck out to me um, by the end of the year. And I said, this is the book that I think everybody would read. This year, I'm trying to read the same amount of books. And already, I think this is a book everybody ought to read. And Corey, Corey Ten Boom was a watchmaker from the Netherlands, and she hid Jewish uh, refugees during World War II in her home. And she was arrested and captured, and at the age of 52, was sent to a concentration camp. Her and her sister were sent together. I kind of tear up when I read this, but if you would indulge me, I'd like to just read you a couple of pages from Corey Ten Boom's uh, autobiography about her experience in the concentration camp. Uh, they, they get moved to a new part of the camp, and they get new barracks. And in her mind, she thought the new barracks meant they were going to have a nurse on staff, and everybody was going to have their own bunk. Then as our eyes adjusted to the gloom, we saw that there were no individual beds at all, but great square piers stacked three high and wedged side by side and end to end with only an occasional narrow aisle slicing through. We followed our guide single file. The aisle was not wide enough for two, fighting back the claustrophobia of these platforms rising everywhere above us. The tremendous room was nearly empty of people. They must have been out on various work crews. At last, our guide pointed to a second tier in the center of a large block. To reach it, we had to stand on the bottom level, haul ourselves up, and then crawl across three other straw-covered platforms to reach the one that we would share with we don't know how many. The de deck above us was too close to let us sit up, and we lay, deck, we lay down, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. We could hear the women who had arrived with us finding their places, and suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross lights above. Something had pinched my leg. Please, I cried. Betsy, this place is swarming with them. We scrambled across the intervening platforms, heads low to avoid another bump, dropped down to the aisle and edged our way to the patch of light. Here, another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize Betsy was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for her. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer before we ask, as he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight. Then I drew the Bible from its pouch that was hidden on my back. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. We were, out, we were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving home. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed expressly written for Raven's book. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. To one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her. Then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus, that is, is good. Such as what you're holding in your hands. And I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close, that many more will hear. And she looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. 
Thank you, Betsy, went on serenely, for the fleas. And for the fleas, this was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. A couple of chapters later, Corey says, in those barracks, they were able to have church services. And they were hiding from the guards. They had to hide their Bible, and they had to hide the church service. And they started having this church service, and no guard came to check on them. And then more and more women started coming to church service, so they had to have two church services. And they would read the scripture. They had it in Dutch, and, they, and Corey and Betsy would translate it in German. But there were so many languages there, the people that heard it in German or Dutch would translate it into the other languages. And they had so many people that had to have one church service before roll call and another church service after roll call. And no guard ever came and checked on them. And their church service just kept growing and growing and growing. And Corey says, Betsy came to me, and this is several chapters later, and she had this smile on her face. And Corey was like, Betsy, what are you doing? And Betsy goes, I found out why there's no guards come check on us when we have church. They're scared of fleas. Doesn't Jesus have victory in weakness? And Jesus' weakness guarantees us victory. The second way our champion wins for us is our champion achieves where we cannot. There was no one in the Israel camp that was big enough or strong enough to face Goliath. And so David the champion went out before them. You know, there are some things in our life that we cannot defeat. No matter how strong we are, we cannot defeat sin, we cannot defeat Satan, and we cannot defeat death. You might have tried before to never sin, and you find out that you end up sinning again. Well, Jesus was tempted in every way we are, and yet he never sinned. He knows what temptation feels like. He can empathize with us, but he never sinned. And so when Jesus, who was sinless, went to the cross and died as a sacrifice in our place, he defeated sin once and for all through his death. Two angels destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. Do you think you can fight physically an angel? Satan is a fallen angel. The scripture says he roars around prowling like a lion, waiting to devour someone. Do you think you have it within you to fight Satan? This is a giant you cannot overcome. And yet Jesus, when he died on the cross, defeated Satan. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus defeated sin, he defeated Satan, and Jesus defeated death. No matter what you do, no matter how good you live, no matter if you get COVID or don't give COVID, no matter how many times you wash your hands, no matter how much bacon you do or do not eat, the mortality rate for humans is 100%. COVID did not increase the mortality rate of anyone in the United States. Because unless Jesus comes back, we have a destination, and it is death, and then judgment. Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death. We need a champion to be 
there and achieve what we cannot. We cannot defeat sin. We cannot defeat Satan. We cannot defeat death. But Jesus did on the cross. And our champion, point number three, our champion shares the winnings. When David defeated Goliath and the Philistines were routed, they ran. The Israelites got the spoils. The spoils of war, the spoils of victory. Jesus, when he defeated sin, Satan, and death, he lets us share in the winnings. Ephesians chapter 1 says, We have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, it says, Jesus is our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. If anybody's going to boast, we need to boast in Jesus. And he shares the victory, the winnings with us. I love my champion. And it's Jesus' resurrected body that guarantees us life after death. I got to do a funeral yesterday for a man who was 91 years old. He didn't defeat death. He lived a long time, but he still had to experience death. But he was a Christ follower. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, you'll never experience death. So for this Christ follower, getting to death was difficult on him. But when he encountered death, he felt no sting. He was just in the presence of God. That's a guaranteed promise to us because of the victory we have in our champion. So now we know how to read David and Goliath. The story of David is we don't put ourselves in the place of David. We put Christ there because he's the champion that goes before us. He's the champion who wins in weakness. He's the champion who achieves what we cannot. And he's the champion that shares the spoils with us. So where do we go in this story? There's the easy way and the hard way. They're both kind of difficult. The easy way is to place ourselves as the Israelite nation. Weak, need, fearful Israelites. If you're not willing to admit that you can't handle some giants in your life, you're still reading David and Goliath wrong. If you're not willing to admit weakness, we need to reread the story of Christ and we need to examine our own soul to find out that we don't have the strength. So you can put yourself, if you want, into the story as the nation of Israel, too weak and too scared without the resources to win against your biggest giant. But there's a harder way to read this story. And for that, I'm going to quote a Bible scholar named Chad Bird. Here's what Chad Bird says. Allow me to sketch out a very different way of teaching the narrative of David and Goliath. It's not a story about us overcoming giants. It's a story about Christ overcoming us, killing us, and saving us. The Philistine behemoth of a man who stood on the battlefield is more like we are than we care to admit. He is, in fact, the incarnation of everything that's wrong with us. We are born enemies of God. We are full of ourselves. We not only have a giant problem, we are a giant problem. We defy God. We exalt ourselves. It's all about me. This is man turned in upon himself, a, nasal, a navel gazer and an ego addict. This is who we are as sinners. We're foes of heaven, giant 
sinners. What we need is not to be schooled in the art of moral improvement. Goliaths can't be reprogrammed into good boys. What we need is not for David to hand us a 100-page self-help guide on how we can live the best life now if we just clean up our act and get our priorities in line. No, Goliath needs one thing. He needs to be killed. And that's what our David does. Our David, the new and second David, marches into the battlefield to slay us. We need to die before we can live, and there is no other way. The harder way to read David and Goliath is to recognize that we are giant sinners, and Jesus calls us to our death. Those who follow me will take up your cross and follow me. The Son of Man came to serve and not be served, but die and be a ransom for many. It's a constant daily death to ourself that Christ can provide for us to make us whole. I have a new friend named David Reed. He's a former elder at Christ Church at Mason. About three years ago, David was in a car wreck that left him paralyzed from the neck down. After three years of intense rehab, he can move his left arm just enough to work the joystick on his electric wheelchair. And he can lift his feet off the feet rest about 10 inches. And if somebody stands him up, he can stand up for 20 seconds. He told me my goal was to walk again. But all the statistics say that after three years of rehab, progress almost halts. Why don't we tell David, God won't give you anything you can't handle. Why don't we tell David that this is a giant. If he just has God on his side, he'll be able to overcome it. You know what David says? He said, I had to make a decision. Would I allow God to use me wherever I am? Whatever is wrong with me, let God use me. That's dying to yourself. So now David goes to rehab. And he pulls his chair over to people who are struggling to take their next step. And he looks them in the eye and says, I would give anything to be in your shoes. And they start working harder. He encourages them. He still teaches Sunday school at Christ Church at Mason. He said, God can keep using me no matter where I'm at. See, this is what it means in Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. See, we misinterpret that based on our misinterpretation of David. It's not that we can overcome any giant. Paul's talking about, he said, I know what it is to have enough food, but I also know what it is to have no food. Christ gives me peace even when my circumstances are terrible. That's what it means for Christ to give me strength to endure all things. And David Reed has the peace of God on his heart and mind. And he just keeps living for Jesus. And as he lives for Jesus, he keeps dying to himself. The reason why he's not an elder right now is because he said, I didn't agree with the preacher. I didn't agree with our elder team, but I was the only one. I didn't want to cause fights every week. So I said, you know what? 
I'll keep praying for the preacher. I'll keep praying for the elders. I'm going to resign my position. I'm going to keep leading Sunday school class to the best of my ability. I'm going to keep serving God wherever he wants me, but I'm not going to be the thorn in the side. Talk about dying to yourself. David Reed knows what it's like to allow Jesus to be his champion. I want that kind of faith. David and Goliath teaches us to put our faith into God's champion, who is Jesus. Thanks again for joining us. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just need more information about our church, please visit us online at wcconline.org connect. Fill out that connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.